Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I am AJ Conrad, here with Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. Hi, Conrad. We are talking about some intense stuff today. We are. We ha- we're on oh episode God. 67, and this episode is all about Mad Max Fury Road. Oh my gosh, my head is still spinning. I know, um. <laughs> and and I... I understand friend of the show, Derek Bishop, thinks that this is one of the best movies of all time. We I, shall see about that. But but I would, I'm would i looking forward to hear what you think about that, Ali. Um, who do we have in the crossover chamber today? Oh, 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 we've got an intense crossover today. So our crossover is inspired by Mad Max Fury Road and The Road Warrior, also known as Mad Max 2. But the question, dear listeners, we're mashing up... Furiosa, the new hero from Fury Road, versus Max. And we're going to be debating who's the better hero. That'll be, ooh, this is going to be an intense one, Conrad. And boy, what a fun top five we've got this week. This week, that, it was just pure joy putting together this list. What do we have in the top five? In the top five, we have top five craziest vehicles, <laughs> whatever that may be. <laughs> and I assure you. you the USS Enterprise is not on my list. I kept mine to roadbound vehicles. I kept mine to roadbound vehicles as well. With what? Maybe little tiny exception. But we'll what? get to that. You'll see. You'll see. I think you're going to give it to me. Oh, man. Uh, is it Rosebud? Is it, it Rosebud? You know, that is a vehicle, actually. I know. I was That'd wondering if you were going to <laughs> So, um, Conrad, let's, let's do some non-spoilery thoughts and we'll get into spoilers because there's a lot to discuss in spoilers but um i'm really curious you and i have never really talked about this topic ever before listeners you're hearing it first um now what's your relation to the mad max franchise um well i watched all of these films when i was a kid um probably earlier than i should have um (laughs) and i remember being uh, Disturbed, but it was just fascinating. It was an interesting idea as a kid. It seemed, um, and I rewatched uh, for the purposes of our our crossover chamber. I rewatched uh, Mad Max Road Warrior for this, um, and I'll tell you, it was a very different experience <laughs> from my, <laughs> my impressions as a kid. Um, although I can still see why I liked it. Um, but it's, so that's my relation to it. Um, it was always like, um, it it was always just kind of this, this maybe, I don't know, this is not what got me into the, the whole, you know, dystopian future, but I definitely remember enjoying this, but also being a little bit weirded out by it. Yeah. As a kid, especially some of the characters, because some of the characters were like super weird and mutiny and like kind of odd. Um, and then he had Mel Gibson. And this was a very be- young Mel Gibson. Well, this in is that how he one. this is how he became famous. And it yeah. was such a cult hit. Um, and then it was a big hit. So it, it really made his career take off. Um, so I remember all that. It's so weird rewatching it. I don't even remember Mel Gibson looking like that. Like yeah, I just still have yeah. current. I have current Mel Gibson. Well, he looks so much more Mel Gibsony in uh, the sec- in the Road Warrior. Uh, he does. He does. I mean, the original Mad Max came out in 1979, and Mad Max Two we're talking 1981. But what a difference a few years. Yeah. Can make. Yeah. 
just, he looks so boyish. Yeah. And when you look at um, he's some soft. of these. He's soft as an he's egg. so soft and smooth. When you look at some of these actors and you see what they look like when they were very young, it's just um, we're so used to seeing them in their like late adult kind of mm. kind of phase. It, it can be striking. Like Harrison Ford. Have you ever seen him like very very young like yeah like totally baby faced what what a american american graffiti did you ever see that like he's yeah exactly so different Mm -hmm. um so anyways before i continue to fanboy out on harrison ford getting back to mel but you never had you ever seen any of these films so okay i didn't think i had at all and friend of the show, Lowen Baumgarten, kind of grew up on them as well. And he's been a big uh, sci-fi catalyst for me. And so he always tried to get me to watch uh, Road Warrior and Mad Max. And I kind of refused. I listened to the premise, you know, this dystopian future in Australia where all these people dress up in weird costumes and kind of like do all this stuff. And it sounded like a, such a total Lowen Baumgarten dystopian film. He loves that guy. <laughs> like, uh, like, it's kind of like water. Waterworld, you know, Lowen kind of likes Waterworld for how silly and crazy and zany he is. And I'm always much more the serious dystopian guy. Like, I don't like, I like my dystopia sci-fi stories, like, serious and like, you know, like, like much more Blade Runner-esque. Yeah. Um, people should not be smiling or laughing or playing practical jokes at each other. It's serious. It's dystopia. Um, so I didn't think I had seen it. So this past weekend, I watched Mad Max Road Warrior, and I wasn't going to do it. But then I also watched Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> and um, I got to say. Auntie Entity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tina Turner. Um, as as Yes, they're dated they're they feel very 80s and beyond thunderdome is the most 80s movie that came out of the oh, 80s oh yes it did <laughs> oh my gosh although i will say this for it it has sort of the feel of some of the like hordes of people and the different people that they show in that film has more of the feel of fury road yeah. Than the Road Warrior does. Oh, totally. And here's You know what I mean? Like and even oh, some totally of the agree. and even some of like the background and, and granted it's a progression. So for those of you who haven't seen any of these, um, this is a franchise that was created by George Miller. Mm-hmm. Um he wrote it, he directed it. Um the idea is that there is an energy shortage and civilization starts to collapse. And uh the and we milk- don't know if it's like a nuclear fallout or it's Well, there's energy shortages and they, they, they're a little bit vague about it, but in any oh, case Oh, that's right. There's like a fuel shortage. Yep, yeah. Yep. And so um Max is one of the people that's enlisted as a road warrior, a police-type person to kind of help keep order around this. Um, And so that's sort of where we see that in the first film. And then in Road Warrior, we see more of the progression of society's collapse. And he's... he's, I think it's... How do you, what's your take on that, Conrad? Is it that he became becomes much more of a vigilante, or is there more collapse? And the- I think that there's more collapse, and one person can't stand against it, and he's also had personal he's had some tragedies losses. and yeah. losses that have happened to him. So it's how that impacts him. And some of the film is some of the film franchises him finding his humanity again, and um, you know, but the three film pro- the the progression of the three films is 
the reason why it gets sort of crazier and crazier is that society is just reshaping itself breaking or it, breaking it, apart it, rather. It is, and it's, it's and in it's, some ways about some of the same things that we see in The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. where it's about w- what type of humans will survive in when so much of civilization has collapsed. Right. And it's also what, a commentary. It's also a commentary on a lot of different things. Yeah, each film kind of takes a different spin on right. different things. And so I, having rewatched them over the weekend, it became clear to me that I've seen aspects of them, um, but never like the whole film. And I couldn't remember most of these details. <laughs> Here's the thing that really stuck out to me, though, Conrad. These films were incredibly influential. Oh, of I, course they are. And you see them and you see different things so that people have things. stolen or referenced from them in a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, beyond Thunderdome, um, so many 80s films had some of that look and feel. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seemed like Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, it was in so way, so many ways influenced by the style here of Beyond Thunderdome. Now, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is not a, a great cinematic achievement, but I just saw that link. And with the Road Warrior too, um, some of some of those beats and some of the the kind of character moments and these type of characters from from the little boy who kind of fights back to him and the dog and just the look and feel, and then going back to Mad Max the original as well. There's so I, many. I would I would say that I think Road Warrior is probably the most influential. And the it, reason why just I as say, a piece of cinema, yes, um, as a piece of cinema, but also as an idea of that kind of a sci-fi film, um, mm-hmm. you didn't. This was kind of the first time you saw the film like a, a society like this in this like crazy wasteland, and it was very. I mean, it, it is nothing like what you would consider to be comic book slash graphic novel esque. No. Um, you know, now compared to what we can see now, but then it was it was definitely groundbreaking. Um, and in terms of an action film, and it's absolutely an exploitation film. Oh, so yeah. um, I think th- this is definitely something that influenced far and wide. And I think that that's why the franchise has such staying power and has such legs, and, and why Fury Road was so well, everybody I mean, was so excited about it. You did know? it have lasting legs? Because it- it's it's a series that very influential at the time. Like you said, the original was a cult classic, and the second one was really cl- critically acclaimed and a box office success. And they were j- just so um, in line with those themes of 1970s films, uh, mm-hmm. from Star Wars to Mad Max. So many films of uh, to um, uh, no, what's that film? Attica, Attica, Attica. Um, what am I thinking here, Conrad? The uh, Robert Robert De Niro, great film. Um, oh gosh, I'll look it up. It'll come back to me. But uh, the, so many films of that era were about um, institutions, the breakdown mm-hmm. of institutions, how we can't trust these institutions. And Mad Max was in that line. But this is not a series we've seen since the eighties. This takes us uh, to Fury Road here. Yeah, but you Fury- know what, Ali? It's not. It- when I say staying power, and I mean like a place in sort of cult movie following, it has it. It does have it. And it's, um, you know, in terms of the, the fan base that these films have and the influence that it has, it's 
I mean, yes, I know it took them a long time to make this, but I I do think it has staying power. And I mean, if we look at the options that people have now to be in uh, Tom Hardy and the the different scripts they have, pe- they're they're betting on it. So I I mean. I think maybe some of this is maybe negotiations and this is definitely George Miller's baby. If you look at his his roster of films, he is a an eclectic and varied director and writer. Um, and yeah. he has done such things as <laughs> Babe, um, as well as Lorenzo's Oil and Happy Feet. Um, you know, in addition to doing two films that I actually f- forgot that he was involved with, which is The Year My Voice Broke and Flirting. And Flirting and Dead Calm were also two films that launched Nicole Kidman's career. Yeah. Um, but these are all very different films from the Mad Max trilogy. And, and just to correct myself earlier, I was referring to Dog Day Afternoon, not by Robert De Niro, but Al Pacino. I'm uh, sorry. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I, I get what you're saying here. And it, it's so this brings us to Fury Road. Like, obviously, these originals have been influential. Obviously, these people have gone on to do a lot of other things. And, you know, Mel Gibson has become much more of a controversial figure at this time. And right. George Miller has become known for doing much more family kind of oriented <laughs> films and not these kind of um, exploitation, uh, exploitation kind of rated R type of films. But this brings us to Fury Road. Now, when I brought up the idea of you and I doing Fury Road, you were like, mm-hmm. God or no here and I hadn't seen the trailer I wasn't really again like I saw well, I'll tell you the initial the initial trailer I saw was not it wasn't a full-length trailer it was just like a snippet mm-hmm. and it was the super fast you know how they speed up the film sure yeah, yeah which it, is funny watching they, the originals and they make too. it yeah I know because the originals are yeah. It's like someone press a fast forward button. It's so obvious. It's like I know, step I know. on the gas and they like press fast forward. <laughs> I know it's a very different, uh, just a very <laughs> different sensibility. But in any case, um, so I only had I was basing that on a very short trailer that I saw. Sure. But then I saw something more extended. So you know, the it, extended trailer I did not see, but people are just like that's a gr- great it was, cinematic and it was. experience just that trailer in itself no and it was and they were absolutely right so so i you know i was fine with seeing it well so i didn't know really what i was getting myself into and let's do some non-spoiler thoughts about fury road conrad what did you think um, you know, I think that they should win a lot of awards for film <laughs> editing and for cinematography and for the makeup and the stunts. Um, I think that it's uh, an amazingly well done film and I think that it captures, I think that, you know, now that they have the capability of, of doing the types of things that we saw done in this film, I think that this is what George Miller was probably envisioning yeah. when he did the original Road Warrior, but he just didn't have the, the budget or the capability, like the effects and, and all the different things that they did with this just were not possible at that time. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's very well done. I will say that, I, you know... I felt like it was a little bit, it could have been a little shorter in certain what? segments. Yeah. Really? Yep. I, I was struck by how well paced it was when the movie ended. I looked at my watch and I'm like, 
oh my goodness, this is only 120 minutes. It was two hours compared yeah. to a- Avengers Age of Ultron and pretty much every other film that's over Part, two hours it wasn't, it wasn't all of it, just parts of it felt a little, especially during some of the va- battle scenes, I was kind of like, uh, you know. Oh, uh, okay, okay, I get you what know, you're not, saying. I'm not saying like anything massive. That's a very minor critique on my end. Sure. Um, but also, I could absolutely see the Conrad if I was a younger Conrad being like, yes, this is like amazing or whatever. (laughs) Um, But some of the violence, it was a little hard for me to deal with. Um, I'm I'm struck by that as well because I I thought for, I was a little surprised that it's rated R. I thought the, um, there's a lot more that of, of the violence that's implied than shown. And in probably the most uh, climactic moment of the movie, um, there is actually, uh, I was impressed that what happens isn't exactly graphically shown. And that was, that was interesting to me, but I I got, I, I agree with you. I think some of the action could have been edited down for what is probably one of my big criticisms of the film, which is some uh, some of the character arcs seem to happen very quickly. Right. right. Um, and if we I, had a little less action, a little bit more room. Yeah, and that's my only... But again, it's this is a Mad Max film. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, you know, that's really what people are going to see. They don't necessarily care too much about the storylines as much. I, I gotta disagree with you there. I think Mad Max 1 and Road Warrior has a lot of character development for the Max character. The but, first movie... but for the Max character, and then they don't use sure. a ton of dialogue to do it. So that's no, the right. other piece. So you're right. I, I guess what I'm saying, they're not looking for long speeches and a no. ton of like, you know, you're, it, it's a different type of film. But that's well, okay. Well, and it's a very different type of film because this this is not really a Max film. This is Ma- um, in the Mad Max world, but this mm-hmm. is really focused on Charlize Theron's character of uh, Fu- uh, Furiosa. Um, so, my initial thoughts, Conrad? I, I need to mention right now that the reason that Ali keeps saying Furiosa with such emphatic enunciation, enunciation <laughs> is because he doesn't want to say Furioso. Which, which is where my head is going. <laughs> which is like, it's referencing some other movie or, sh- or quote where they go, uh, we, oh, it's Wingardium Levioso. Or L- no, Sa. it's Leviosa. <laughs> See, that's why my head's getting messed up. I'm thinking Harry Potter, and I'm thinking Yeah, Hermione. but you're thinking the wrong Harry Potter. I know, this is always what happens to me. <laughs> See, and now that you pointed it out, I guarantee you I'm going to mess it up at some point. You're the but, best. I uh, know, it just makes me so happy. Okay, so Furiosa. Just, yeah, Furiosa. She, she, she is the, the main focus of this. And, <laughs> and Charlize... Or Furiosa. And and Charlize Theron is amazing in this. She really is. Oh my is. gosh, she's, she's so incredible. Um, oh I think you know overall. I think that this is it is an action tale, but it's a tale of uh, redemption mm-hmm. and survival. And there is definitely there is definitely the feeling of the underdog um, managing. To, to break through under, you know, against incredible odds. So they've got that going on. The the ragtag group of heroes type thing. Yeah, um, if, if, and there's, you know, I have to say it. This is... Charlize Theron is a very compelling female character. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of them in this and they don't pull punches and it's interesting. I mean, they, you know, the, a lot of you the know, female characters in this are being exploited, but yeah. her her character plays the hero and she she really you know, she she just kicks butt. So No, she she really does and I think we'll we'll have more to talk about uh with I I think there's that's become an area of controversy uh this week and I think that we're going to oh, about dive the into... the feminist argument. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's going to be some interesting stuff for us to explore with spoilers right. with that. Um but I agree with you. I, I so I my initial thoughts about this film were that it's it is one large action sequence and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, th- seeing this, the last film I saw was Avengers Age of Ultron, where I, I, I believe on this show, I am quoted as, as saying, um, I believe there are no memorable set pieces. Uh, and I think this whole film is one memorable set piece where the action is literally nonstop. We use that so often to describe films, but it's very apt here. Um, it is frenetic. It is intense. You... Uh, I found my heart racing through several several scenes in this film. I, I, I thought it was like the darkest timeline future of the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> like if you play it out to, to its logical, most dystopian extreme, that's where we get. I loved, Conrad, how so many of the effects were practical in nature. Like, look, the uh, there's a character that you and I probably um, really love, which is the the guy with the uh, the blind man playing the guitar with the, the yeah. flame throwing guitar. Uh, are you talking about the the Doof Warrior? Yeah, <laughs> he's got a name and a backstory. Yep, which is like amazing. Um, so much of the effects there were practical effects. Were not CG in, in origin, not computer generated. Uh, the- I, I do have to mention that the Doof Warrior's fate, like mask that he wears. Do you know the story behind no, it? No, I don't. Uh, so that is supposed to be uh, made from his mother's face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, uh, Immortan Joe supposedly found him. This is all part of his backstory. And he was found... Uh, carrying his mother's head because he witnessed his mother's beheading and he was a music uh, prodigy as a child. Wow. So there you go. Well, and so he's blind and he ends up and surviving. He wears his, and he wears his mother's face. <laughs> uh, as one does, Conrad, in the dystopian Australian future. But he, he's blind and he survives because he's deep in a mine where you can't really see. And his blindness in, in a daredevilian kind of way actually ends up being a huge advantage. And, and his, uh, his auditory skills really help him out there. And that's where he finds water. And, you know, that's a big thing theme in this movie too is water and, and resources and as well as uh, as the stories about uh, women as property and, and all of that. So I love the effects. Um, there's a great s- scene towards the finale where there's these insane Cirque du Soleil style acrobatics happening and that was practical effects and you're right George Miller is able to do so much more given the modern technology given the advances in filmmaking given how much more you can do with smaller cameras and get them into different places and I just love the attention to detail how so much of it is is shown and not uh, not told you know there's um, there's so many 
little moments of character development. So you see towards the end of the um, film, there's a a scene where a character you've been seeing throughout the film, you see his his feet and you're like, whoa, I didn't really know that before. And I just love that it's happened so quickly. And that and that plays out later in the film. And there's so many moments like that where it's not necessarily world building as it is like world showing and mm-hmm. not explaining as a, as much as is you just experiencing it. And that is great. That's so delicious. How there's the ideology, the beliefs, the religion, all of that. You experience this as in almost like a naturalistic way. At a frenetic pace of, you know, 120 miles an hour. Uh, the attention to detail on all the vehicles is astounding. Um, it, it's, it's, I can go on and on. And I'll say here, I had this, again, I hate to point fingers here, but with Avengers, I had a lot of complaints about the score there. And I think the score, along with the visuals, integrate so nicely to create these powerful experiences as you're experiencing the film. And just like as we talked about last week with multiversity and how it's a story that can so uniquely be told in a comic book medium, this is such an inherent cinematic experience that has to be seen on the big screen with the integration of sound and visuals and acting. I mean, Tom Hardy's uh, Max has maybe like 10 lines in the film, but... There, he does it so well, and he communicates so much nonverbally. And then Charlize Theron's character, uh, um, Future uh, Furiosa. See, I told you I was going to get tripped up a little bit, but I recovered. Um, is just such a powerhouse. So I give this a very enthusiastic. You must watch this on the big screen. It is probably one of the best action films that I have seen in the last ten years. That being said, concerns about character development, and there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about with the female characters in this movie. All right. Well, are you ready to get into our spoiler review? I think I am, and I think you and I are pretty much on the same page, unless things will deviate here in the spoilers. Um, oh, uh, one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, this it doesn't matter if this... Well, I guess this is spoilery, but Immortal Joe... Um, the <laughs> um, or Immortan Joe, I guess. Yeah. Um, the villain here is in some ways a continuation, maybe, of a character from Mad Max. Like he played, um, he played what's a, a toe cutter in Mad Max. So, uh, like, I'm wondering if, uh, and we're we're here in spoilers zone now. I'm wondering if he is the same character. Um, and I'm kind of wondering a little bit about how this film exists in the Mad Max series because this guy kind of conti- – the actor at least continues on. Um, and then I-, I was going into this film thinking Charlize Theron was playing Max's wife. I don't know if that's what you thought, but especially given that the fact that she had um, – for, she has like a bionic arm on one arm, and we know that you know the, his wife experienced those those burns and 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 lost an arm, I believe, in Mad Max. I thought it was going to be a continuation of that storyline, so I kept waiting for that reveal, and then it never happened. Uh, <laughs> but that's it, it's nice to see some continuation of original actors from the Mad Max series. Oh, um, it is, it is. Um, wait, so are you saying that? character was supposed to be introduced in another the actor 
Okay, the, just the actor. Okay, I was going to say, because well, I didn't remember that character. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So that, not like this, this like, <laughs> I don't even know what you want to call this character. Like, he's so just horrible and evil and all that. Um, but the actor played the villain oh, in okay. the original Mad Max. Okay. He is uh, a leader of that, like, evil gang. Um and here he is now playing another the same actor. Well, it's playing okay because another... you know the the way that the mask is doesn't matter necessarily, so it's all good. That's true. That's true. So, spoiler zone, Conrad. Um, where where would you like to take this uh, our intrepid vehicle? Um, you know, I I think that the look and the feel of this film was like the the. The setting of this film was its biggest asset. I think that the world that they built um, for this film was incredible um, because it's you get the sense of just how insane the world has become. Yeah, even in the first few minutes of the film, um, and they they do a lot of really nice things, giving. You know, I, I would say there's a, there's a lot of Easter eggs in here, which I don't know if you caught, depending on when you watched the first films. Did you? Well, his uh, original vehicle, you see it in the beginning. Um, well, you see that in the beginning, but also uh, he gets captured by by Immortan's uh, war boys. And, yeah. you know, they're using him basically as a blood source for themselves. Um, and when you first see them tattooing him, they're tattooing Road Warrior on him. I don't know if you caught oh, that. Oh, I didn't catch that. Or there's one that's already there on him. Um, oh, so cool. that was kind of cool. Um, there's just, there's a lot of nice little references to it. So it never lets you forget where it's coming from. Um, so it's hard to place where this might be in the world, but I guess you can just kind of assume that it's a continuation and that this is just where the world has been going. Sure. Um, and so I, I get the impression the, since his vehicle is still there and it's the last of the V8s that this is happening before Thunderdome. Maybe. Um, or before Road Warrior? I don't know. No, well, Road Warrior, Road Warrior he still has oh, his no, Interceptor. After, well, after, after Road Warrior, before Thunderdome, that's some... Maybe, maybe. I think, yeah. I think it's deliberately somewhat muddy. Yeah. Um, but that's fine, too. Um, but the, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, you can definitely see what is valuable in this world and what is not. Um, and one of the things that I think that these films have always done very well is like they pose the question and say, what if, what if society did collapse and look, look at, you know, and I, I don't mean to be drawing, you know, uh, parallels to your, your home state, Ali, but, um, California, but you know, what if water was just this precious, precious commodity? Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, in yeah, yeah. you know, and and this is what happens, and you have somebody that has monopoly on it, um, and just gives them a little bit. Um, what you know, one of the things that I do think would that I didn't like about this film, another one of my my minor critiques, is that if you're dealing with a society where fuel and water are such precious commodities. You're, you're not going to be wasting it the way these people did. I guess you can say that they're all totally insane. Mm. Um, but they. I just feel like they would not be, you know, no, no. 
you know, I love the Doof Warrior, but his flamethrowing guitar is wasting an awful lot of a lot a lot of energy. <laughs> well, but I love that that the the villain is so bold that he has dedicated one vehicle just to basically, um, just to basically like. Uh, sound the alarm to approaching victims that he is come getting closer and closer well, to. Well, I know we like that, but just if this is where the society has gone, I just don't think that they would do it. So so there's that <laughs> stuff going on. But the, but the whole sense of the film, and this is what I remember watching the, the Mad Max films when I was younger, is this kind of terrifying idea that this could be a future. I mean, it's it really does pull you into to the world that George Miller has created and the, it's not necessarily the nicest future and you're kind of terrified but also super fascinated about what else is going to unfurl and what else is going to be revealed. Mm. Um so I, you know, I think that they did an excellent job with this. Um, I just, yeah. you know, my my personal thing is that I just, you know, and this is coming from a woman that watches a lot of zombie films and post-apocalyptic things, and, you know, I just You think, want more blood? Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It just, <laughs> there, I don't know. There's something very bleak, and, and maybe I wasn't in the right mindset to watch it. Um, I did not come out of it saying I need to watch that again immediately, which is friend of the show, Derek Bishop, was definitely all about doing that. And I appreciate why he's into doing that, and he is a huge fan of the Mad Max franchise. Um, mm-hmm. But that, you know, it was a little bit overwhelming. Honestly. It was it was intense. It like was like super like sensory and like just kind of throwing every I mean throwing everything at you and it was really you know and and I did like the different stories and I liked the story that you get to see, actually see a war boy and what his existence is almost from the beginning played by uh, Nicholas Holt uh, yeah. who's who he's come a long way from about a boy. Um, <laughs> But in a, you get to see his whole experience and how he is transformed throughout the film, which I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, and and again, well, they, they, though a touch that happens, it's almost like a flip is of uh, a, a, a switch is flipped. Right. Uh, that's you know I'm I'm okay with it. Look, it, it's it's fine. There's a lot happening in this film, um, and I'm fine. Uh, getting a few extra scenes of our beloved uh, guitarist uh, in exchange for a little bit less character development here. But it does happen pretty quickly. Well, it does. But I mean, and then I also really love, um, as I said, the the effects and the cinematography and the way some of the scenes are shot are really amazing. And one of the scenes that I just was blown away by is... Um, when uh, Max first encounters uh, Furiosa. Oh, great, and, and, great moment. And the women that she has stolen, the wives of Immortan. And yeah. it's this crazy moment because... The five wives were, were there? Five or four? Uh, it doesn't matter. But he's he's in the desert. He's been used as like a blood transfusion for War Boy. And he's been pulled and like in these in this crazy tornado sandstorm thing and 
doesn't even know where he is and then it almost seems like a mirage you know like the way that yeah. that scene was shot and that they're drinking water and um again they wouldn't be wasting water like that but okay um <laughs> but it was just there's just such a huge contrast between what you saw at Immortan's palace and mm-hmm. the fact that these women had been living there and they're all very ethereal and you know like perfect looking <laughs> so and you um, find Tom Hardy once again wearing yeah, exactly. I know, I know. I knew you were going to do the Bane. Um, <laughs> but it was just, there were some really, seriously, they should win. They should right, win so, some awards so, for this. All right, so uh, that's that's a pretty good assist to um, to talking about some of the themes here. And so there is a theme of um, played out with the role of women in the society. And so there are five wives. Um, there are five wives. And these women were uh, specifically selected for breeding by Immortan. And Charlize Theron's uh, uh, Furiosa is uh, trying to bring them back to her childhood home, to safety. Now, that's a theme, and I'm going to hold on to that. The other theme of water and environment and resources and survival, that's all there. And we all get it. And that's been a theme in this series, blah, blah, blah. We get it. Good for you. But let's, let's talk about the role of women in the society. And if you look at Mad Max, the, this whole, the whole series, um, women, this is a horrible, horrible future when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, the treatment of women. Uh, there's a lot of rape in mm-hmm. the first two films. Um, the, the second film has a few more female characters. They're not really developed more than any of the other background characters, but they're there. The first film really doesn't have many at all besides uh, Max's wife, uh, her, um, is it her mother or Max's aunt, but the other woman that lives on that farmhouse. Um, But you see a lot of rape in those first two films, and there's Tina Turner. And it was definitely... At that time, that was those are some pretty graphic scenes. It still is. Uh, I mean, and it's still it's week, still hard to watch. It's 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 really tough. hard to watch. And look, this is um, as of as of this recording. There's you know this is this is something that's been a lot. There's another big series on Game of Thrones that's been a lot of uh, similar concerns have been raised about that. But this is not a Game of Thrones episode, so. Um, my my thoughts about this, and and so okay, getting back to Fury Road here, this is a big theme here, where Fu- uh, Furiosa is being hailed by some people as being uh, an incredibly feminist character. Um, and again, I have a hard time operation. I, I know what feminism means: believing in equal opportunity for all genders, that everyone should have an equal chance and, and be treated equally and have equal opportunity. I'm all on board with that. I have a hard time defining what a feminist film is, um, a film that's that's supporting those ideals. Um, and then, you know, there, we've talked about representation of women and the Bechdel test. Are, is there more than one female? Do they talk to each other? Do they talk to each other about something other than men? And the film passes that. It has representation of women. We find tribe of women um, this film is about, you know, we are not property. And that's kind of a theme of this film. But 
let's talk about how those th- themes are treated and the treatment of not only Furiosa, but um, the treatment of women in this film by the camera, by, by the director, by the other characters. I mean, wh- what do you think here? Um, you know, I've seen, I have seen some of the criticisms, but I also just, are we just talking specifically about Furiosa? Well, I, I, is that what you want to talk about? Well, I don't know what to talk about because here I've got such mixed feelings about this, Conrad. It's a net positive. Um, but we have a range of representation of women here from the most badass with Furiosa, um, to uh to these five wives and how they are their bodies are literally objectified by the villain that they are only prized for their ability to breed and how the camera does hug their bodies and objectifies their bodies in um in much the same way as the movie objectifies violence and that has and then at the same time then you have this other tribe of women who are not treated in that way at all who are treated like many of the other male characters are. Um, and so I think we do see a range of representation. So I think when some of the criticism that's come on this film, I think is, is, uh, I think we're dealing with shades of gray and we're dealing with a range of portrayals. And I think that is a huge positive. Right. Well, okay, maybe it'll help if I bring up some of the counter arguments. So, um, Anita, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I. Okay, so I. This is the thing. I understand some of the things that they're trying to say, but I also think that again, this is. You know, we talked a little bit about this in Ex Machina, and you know, this is an exploitation film. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's it's. The, the answer is in the <laughs> description. It's an exploitation film. Um, we saw this in the Mad Max films earlier, as you mentioned, and actually in a much more graphic way. Um, in Fury Road, I think that they show the servitude in a different way. You don't, you're not showing people being raped. You are hearing about it, and you're hearing about how they're kept in servitude. You're seeing that they are keeping women to produce mother's milk for other people to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that the wives are wearing chastity belts, but you also see them throwing them off, and you're seeing them escaping. Yeah. And you're seeing a whole tribe of women in the desert that have been surviving on their own. Um, and then they all without question, and, and there are some people that doubt, you know, there are, there's a couple of the wives that, you know, are like, I want to go back cause they're afraid of being punished or, you know, I, I don't think that you're seeing, and, and you have Furiosa. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not saying that this is like a, a total, homage to feminism because i don't think that it is no it's, it's but not. um but i also think i don't that think it's trying to be that i exactly and you know i i understand the criticisms behind it um and i think that they're at least trying if that makes sense um and it, and i think that we may see more i mean uh furiosa apparently is going to be the subject of one of the future films. Yeah, so two two future films have been uh, are, 
scripts are largely written for them. Uh, so Mad Max Furiosa and then the other film, which is Mad Max The Wasteland. If uh, if there's if they're green lit, we're going to see at least one of those. So I think it does. To me, it comes. About- I mean, I mean, this is a, this is, a, and I mean, yeah, these women that you see that were cast in those roles, they're all models. But that's kind of what they're not even hinting. Like, like uh, there's other women that they show that are being held as slaves as like the milk producers who are not as attractive and. Like so, you're seeing how women are treated in the traditional in the society. sense of yeah. what's what's seen you're as not, attractive you're not, in the media, right? Like like they they deliberately make them look and dress them in a very different way than the wives are, and they have the wives very much separated. But Furiosa is also a separate entity as well. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think so. To call something a feminist film, the film I think does need to challenge the viewers. To uh, to those uh, to questions related to feminism, which is equal opportunity. I think a feminist science fiction series is Battlestar Galactica, and you and I have talked about that. Right. I think that film uh, that that TV series is intentionally trying to make you question equal opportunity in society by showing you this is what it'll look like. And look. It doesn't matter if Starbuck is female and a fighter pilot, but she's still badass in all of these ways, and it doesn't take away from your ideals of masculinity at all. Uh, th- this film is not trying to do that. And, you know, uh, uh, the great feminist on, on the Internet, Anita Skarskidian, um, I always have a hard time with uh, saying her last name, but she's awesome and I love her. Uh, just to sum up some of her criticism in two sentences, she says, viewers get to feel good about hating cartoon misogyny without questioning themselves or examining how sexism actually works in our society. It makes me f- profoundly sad that mainstream pop culture now interprets feminism to mean women can drive fast and stoically kill people, too. Mm. And I think that kind of sums up some of the problems oh. here with maybe it's media is saying, look at this great work of feminism art. Right. Well, it's not. And it's also part of why it's also not is because the Mad Max character is playing that traditional role in a lot of senses. Um, and even at the end, even even though they have all as like a team gotten back um, at the Citadel, which is where all the water is, um, he's really the one who like drags out the body of, sure. of Joe and you know yes Furiosa is there but she's also been horribly injured and he's the one that like rescues her with his blood and you know so they these are all things that I think you have to to look at and, well, and, and, and the, again the view it's of violence a, too like, well, right. the, the and, five and, wives did not want there to be any violence whereas Furiosa has a different view of that well, completely right, right. as, well, as do that tribe of women they do and so I mean there's I think you're right I think that it's, at least it is trying but no it's it is not like um, though I, as I said in the beginning, it was quite refreshing to see the Furiosa character, and Heck I really yeah, liked her. Heck yeah, um, I was. So and, I and want to see more of her. Look and compare this to again Avengers: Age of Ultron. Um, there was much more of a range of depictions of what it means to be a woman in mm-hmm. this film, and that is awesome. Um, 
I am all in favor of that. And I think this film does a lot of stuff that we saw with Edge of Tomorrow uh, last year in kind of flipping your ideas of walking in to see a Tom Cruise or a Tom Hardy vehicle. And it actually ends up being an Emily Blunt or a uh, Charlize Theron um, two hours of badassery. Mm. Well, I don't... I don't know. I think I think it was to me. It was always clear that Charlize was going to be the vehicle. I, I had no idea. I hadn't seen anything. I had no idea. And Maybe I, if you I had seen the, it. I don't know. Anyway, but it's but it's good. Um, so I, I think that's you know, Conrad. I I um I got no other real things to no. say about this. I, I'm not sure. I I will absolutely. I, I, I didn't walk out of it. I I didn't I didn't walk like you. I didn't walk out of it saying I need to see this again. But I think that's because my head was spinning so much. Right. As I said, it's it's an overload. It can overload your sensory. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what the right mood is for me to see this, because this is not a movie I would want to have in the background because it so pulls you in. As if you're getting sucked into a black hole and you need to like hold on for dear life. It is such an intense experience. I love that experience. I haven't had an action. I think the last time I felt anything close to this was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Because that movie moves at such a frenetic and intense pace as well. And I loved that. Um, and I, I tried to rewatch that just passively in the background uh, a few months ago, and I couldn't. I got pulled into it. But it's got that Brad Bird pacing, but taken to a extreme. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, as I said, I left it with my just totally, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but it was definitely this kind of, it was a crazy experience. Um, and I actually did see this in 3D because that was the option that I had. Yeah, so, same here. Same so here the glasses I- over the glasses. Um, I should really learn to wear contacts. Do you ever wear contacts? I films? always forget when and, I'm And I it. should because I know that that would make the experience better. But still, the 3D was, was fine, um, even with the sped up pacing and, and some of the, you know, the way that they filmed some of it. I wasn't bothered by it, but um, but I definitely wished I had had my contacts in. The, the 3D did make me duck a few times when spears yeah. and bullets and cars and all that stuff were flying at you. So I got to say that the 3D added a bit more of the terror um, and suspense and intensity. And I, I, I kind of liked it. Um, but I got to say, if you if it's a vote between um, 3D or IMAX, go see I it at IMAX. IMAX. Yeah, yeah, this um, needs to be seen on the biggest screen possible. It's just gorgeous, you know. And I and I did watch this with Bill, and and Bill was, you know, agreed with me about the the cinematography, but all, but felt like it was just too violent and too much, and not necessarily the he he actually said he would have preferred to have seen Pitch Perfect too. Um, oh my god! So is I. That's so. So this is a surprising thing to me because he loves Fast and Furious, and um, I honestly think so much of the violence here happens off screen, where the camera does cut right before. So you know we're in spoilers. Oh, I don't now. think it's that. I just think you know he he has to suffer through watching all these films with me that involve. Typically, they involve undead or or reanimated type things and they're usually pretty gory or sad or disturbing and I think that he would just much rather watch happier films 
<laughs> so, Maybe you should watch Happy Feet or uh, right. uh, Babe, a Pig in the Big City instead of some of uh, George Miller's other work. But Immortan Joe, the scene where you know his his face is ripped off basically, um, and he is he is killed. Um, I was surprised that they didn't show that, and I'm glad they didn't. But then you also have the horrifying scene when um, the baby is taken out. Um, oh, and before the, that, when when uh, Splendid uh, falls off the truck, and you yeah. know, it's just an awful, awful thing. Because even the camera if you're does not, cut away, it cuts away, but it's the idea of it, and that's. I mean, I think that that's the whole thing with with that's this the film. Thing. Yeah. Is yeah. that you know your imagination fills in. That's what the human mind does, and so it Absolutely. makes it. Even though you're not seeing it, it makes it. It still is disturbing and traumatizing. Well, it is. It is, and that's that's what um, that's what I love about this so much. George Miller is taking us back to an era where that was much more the norm. And things were left to be filled in in your head, and we have so we have. Bec- Walking Dead is so much more graphic than this film, and yet we've habituated to it. We're so used to that. Um, is so refreshing to, to see something that feels like it's from another era, and at the same time feels so fresh and innovative in the type of action that we're seeing that this is something that is there's going to be so many copycats for the next few years where people are trying to make a fury road and Mm -hmm. do the type of style that we saw here and this is where it kind of reminds me of um the matrix a little bit in in terms of the style at which this is uh happening on the big screen it's, it feels so fresh and new. Right. And Are you saying we're going to see a lot of slow-mo bullets or the equivalent thereof? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how, how you're going to define this style of Fury Road, but we're going to see a lot more of it. And probably not as good. <laughs> probably so, not. Well, are you co- ready then to delve into the crossover chamber? I'm ready to delve into the crossover chamber. Um, uh, let's do it, Conrad. Welcome. Bane, you just had to use it again, didn't you? <laughs> I, I love that Bane voice. Uh, I, I got to say, at, at times it sounded like um, he was doing like Bane meets Mel Gibson. <laughs> A little. Sometimes that's, that's, he did. That's what it felt like. Um, yeah, oh, I still man. remember you at Comic Con whenever you would say hello to the Banes. That would. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to do it in the Bane voice. Hello. What a lovely, lovely cosplay. Um, okay, but but I digress. In the crossover chamber, it's it's Mad Max uh, Fury Road versus Mad Max Road Warriors, two specific characters. So it's Mad Max versus Furiosa. Exactly. So we're taking Mad Max um, from, especially from that second film. So let's, we've talked about Furiosa. We, well, a little bit about her backstory. So she, she was abducted, taken away from her home, and basically was enslaved in, uh, what's that city called, Conrad, where they're all kind of like living uh, with uh, Immortan Joe uh, Gastown? Uh wait no. Well no, Gastown uh, is where they they're supposed to go there to get the fuel. It's the Citadel. Is this that's what it was. The Citadel is is where she was taken enslaved and she was sent on a mission to get gas at Gastown and actually what she ended up doing is uh going on a mission to try to uh save the five wives and take her take them back to her home town. Um where it's a, it's it's a bit of like a Wonder Woman kind of like 
Amazonian place of only women. Um, but it ends up not being that at all. Um, versus Max from The Road Warrior, who has lost his family, um, stumbles upon this guy who makes this flying contraption, um, finds this place where there is all this fuel, um, goes there, kind of makes an agreement to help them in exchange for getting this big rig and getting them to escape from this evil gang of horrible, horrible people um, who also, like, display those bodies on their cars. Uh, but I don't think that they were doing it for blood. I think they were just doing it for intimidation and and pure craziness. But anyways... So the question, Conrad, is who's the better hero? Um, this is an interesting question. I I I have to lean towards Furiosa mm. in this in this particular instance, um, and the reason why I say that is because she's not a reluctant hero, which I feel Mad Max is. Mad Max oh, is totally. trying, he's trying, you know, uh, yes, he ends up getting there in the end and he does the right thing. He saves the little wild child and, um, you know, and ultimately is the hero with that community. But um, it, you don't trust him. Like, he he's a bit of a mercenary in the beginning and he has to get there and transform. Uh, Furious is already there um, and she's willing to risk absolutely everything to rescue the women um, and to bring them to what she thinks is a paradise. And then when it's probably the hardest thing that it, it, it feels like the hardest um, challenge, she, she turns around and she goes and takes over the Citadel um, with them. And even though she knows she could die and almost does die. Um, so I feel like she's just much more of a hero um, and you don't see, like any kind of negative things that she like if you see her interacting with with Max and uh with others it's it's more she always has her eye on the prize. So I don't know if this is cheating. I, I agree with everything you've said there. Um completely agree. Nothing no nothing to rebut. Um now is it cheating to bring in elements of Mad Max 1? Because if we look at that, Max is not a reluctant hero. He is a guy who signed up for the law enforcement, is trying to protect and save his family. Um, although they do way too much dillying around when they know they're, you know, there's these evil biker gangs around. But he's no way reluctant. But uh, I guess one critical moment that happens for him is when he does experience a tragic loss, he sort of turns away from it all and, and leaves it. And that's kind of what sets him off on vengeance. And then after that, he's just kind of doing his own thing. Um, but at the end of the day, he always does the right thing. It It is self-serving, but he always ends up doing the right thing. Maybe he does, but but it is cheating to bring in another film that we're not comparing. <laughs> Conrad! Um, but, I mean, I hear um, what you're saying. But it is a part of the characterization. No, not really. Um <laughs> I mean, it is, but that's not... We're comparing Mad Max in Road Warrior versus Furiosa in Fury Road. And Mad Max in Road Warrior is, like, super reluctant. Yeah. He he really doesn't want to save that town uh, 
of people. He's well, really and also and also he's, he's pretty much that character in Fury Road. So oh, totally. He really kind of doesn't have many other options and that's that's the thing is he does help them in exchange for all the gas he all the gas i can carry um that doesn't sound like mel gibson at all i can't i can't do in a good australian voice but i got new vein um he he's only doing it for all those canisters of gas and and the other character um what's that guy's name the guy who invents that flying contraption but he there's many times where that guy's like hey we're in this together let's let's do this together and max is like oh captain yeah. uh, gyro captain that's his name <laughs> yeah, yeah and max is like uh no whatever i'm just gonna leave you tied up here and then gyro captain again hey we're in it together um no i'm just gonna leave you like here, maybe you can like save yourself, but or, like if you have some extra time, and then Gyro Captain saves him uh, using his flying contraption. Hey, we're in it together. He's like, you might have saved my life, but we're not in this together. Like, can you get more reluctant? He really, really does not p- want to partner up with anyone in that film. No, you're right. You're right. Um. So I think this is what it boils down to. Um, are, is a better hero someone who sticks to their virtues and believes in something, is passionate about something and wants to help other people? Or is it more heroic to actually have gone through all this stuff, to, not, um, to be very interested in serving yourself and fight off those internal motivations to help other people because that's what max does max is it takes him a lot to align with furiosa and he does but furiosa is sort of tried and true straight and steady sticking to her virtues what's more heroic there yeah but she's also lost her arm and been through hell as well we just don't see it within fury road clearly she has been and she talks about it in terms of her being abducted as a child and the fact that her mother died on the third day of her abduction. So I don't think that that's necessarily a good argument. Well, it's an argument about redemption. I think Max is a character who is constantly seeking or uh, trying to seek in some ways redemption in these films. Um, Maybe that's I'm wording it the wrong way. He's not seeking redemption, but he does gain redemption through some of his uh, selfish acts and i think that's what makes him interesting as a character yeah but Um, it doesn't necessarily make him a better hero he makes makes him a hero that i don't always trust (laughs) so um i think i would even say that in some ways he's a little bit of an anti-hero um you know so depending on which view you take and which film you're talking about so, Gosh, you're really crossing the streams here because this makes me want to talk about Mad Men, um, a series that just ended no. this as well. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Even though um, it does have the word mad in it. Um, ooh, it does. Anyway. anyway uh. um, but but I'm, you know, I think, I think Furiosa, to me, wins this battle. Well, I agree um, with you, all, all of my debating aside. But, dear <laughs> listeners, uh, <laughs> let us know. Sometimes I just got to, you know. Sometimes you um, just have to drive me insane. Okay. That's, that's my six years of speech and debate coming out uh-huh. right there. Um, uh, dear listeners, let us know who you think is a better hero. Is it Furiosa from Fury Road? 
Or is it Max from The Road Warrior? Let us know. And with that, let's close up these doors on the infinite grass of our chamber. And Conrad, on to our top five. What are we talking about today? We are talking about top five crazy vehicles. I don't even know how to define this, but <laughs> I picked I picked some of my favorites, mostly that involved like my childhood vehicle heroes. But uh, <laughs> how did you choose yours? Well, so this is inspired by uh, the last of the V8s and all those other crazy vehicles we see in Mad Max, especially Fury Road. Oh my gosh! I know, I know. Uh, so there's a ton of. If, if people haven't seen it yet, there's like a ton of articles out there that just give you all the specs and tell you what each vehicle is supposed to do, and it's it's actually really amazing. It's really amazing from the stretch Mercedes limo with like the death grills <laughs> to uh, like. Just the the war rig. The war rig is so interesting. Yeah, the war rig um, is cool. So, I, you know what I did, Conrad, is I picked some of my favorite vehicles from, from film and TV. And then I leaned into the crazy. Whatever was really out there, really stylish and interesting in a weird way, did weird things, seemed unrealistic. That's what I kind of leaned into for my criteria. All right. Uh, give me your number five then. My number five is my wibbly wobbly pick um, because it, it doesn't necessarily drive on a road. Um, it doesn't necessarily have wheels either, but I love the look and feel and it ties into where I think history is going to see Mad Max Fury Road. And that is the Nebuchadnezzar from The Matrix. Oh, that's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, it's cool, right? It's it looks weird. You don't necessarily know how it works. There's piping all over the place, and it feels almost like an insect creature kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the sound of it, the feel of it, and I think Mad Max: Fear Road is going to go down as being like this era's Matrix in terms of uh, the style of what it does. So that's my number five. What cool. do you got for me, Conrad? Uh, my number five is Optimus Prime. Oh man, Optimus Prime. So it okay. Uh, and and I'm going. I'm more. Which one? That's my question. Well, Optimus Prime. I would say from from the cartoon series is what immediately came to mind. But I Gross will say in disguise. Yeah, I will say that the the first um, the first Transformers, the way that they made the Transformers look, was pretty cool. Agreed. I love and that. So version. so I have to I have to give it to them there. Um so Optimus Prime, he's so awesome, he's got that awesome voice. Um he has a very deep voice that resonates. And I mean I like Bumblebee too, but but Optimus Prime was just just always so awesome. So had to, had to put him in there. Can't complain with that. And uh, I I mean crazy vehicle, he's a he's a living alien, so you can't get more more out there than that. Uh, my number four is a vehicle I've wanted uh, for a very long time, and it is the Tron Light Cycle. Um, That's pretty cool. And I'm going with the Light Cycle from both Tron and Tron Legacy because they're both awesome. Um, I, I wanted that when I saw the original, and then when the sequel came out, uh, you know, the sequel has a lot of problems. It's got a great score, and it looks very pretty, and the prettiest scene and the coolest score moments are always involved the light cycles. So awesome. That's my number four pick. That's pretty cool. What do you uh, got? 
my number four is um well it's kind of a a little bit of a it's not a cheat necessarily but it's the uh the boat from uh Willy Wonka and the Cho- chocolate factory <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw in something I lo- weird. I, I lo- that's great. That's such a wonky niche pick. I love it. I well, love it. and I also, I mean, it's it was such a weird thing, and it was a cool thing to read about in the books. Um, and then the other one, you know, thinking about like nautical things, uh, was the Nautilus from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Is that also on the list, or is that a? Uh, uh, it's it's in my honorable mentions, but that's God, yeah. when I was thinking about boats and nautical things. I tried to pick different types of vehicles. So anyway, I was um, thinking of nautical stuff, and then I was thinking of Sequest DSV, but it wasn't very weird or crazy, so I, I left it off. Well, I mean, come on, the even boat- though Darwin swims and talks. <laughs> The uh, the boat in Willy Wonka though it's got like crazy powers and they don't always know how it works and it's just like a strange yeah. thing. It is added to the list of strange things in that film. Yes. Um, okay, I'm gonna uh, let's switch it up. What do you have for number three? Uh, for number three, I have the DeLorean. It's only number three, Conrad. Come on. Come I have. On. You're gonna understand when we get further up. My friend. Ooh, now I'm now I'm a little scared. Um, okay, why'd you pick the DeLorean? Because it's a time machine and it's amazing, and also and it has those it cool. Goes, you don't need wheels. And it's got those cool like like doors that open up the way they do. It was such an iconic vehicle. Um, you would, you know, if you saw just they had it. Um, you know, in all their advertising, and everybody wanted a DeLorean. I still want a DeLorean, and I know. that's that's why it's and my even number in, one. Even in Ready Player One, it's your number one. It's my number one. Mm. I love it. I've wanted that vehicle my whole life, ever since I saw the first movie. And if I if I had the money, that's what I would buy. And I would buy not only a regular DeLorean, but I would modify it to be a screen accurate representation of the DeLorean from Back to the Future Two, with Mister Fusion added on, and I would add a flux capacitor in the back. Um, I would. Uh, it's awesome. I got to see a replica at New York Comic Con a few years ago, hmm. and I have a picture of myself with it. Um, and I, that was such a happy moment in my life when I got to sit inside that. Um, it's just so cool. It flies. Who doesn't want a flying car? It time travels, and it is. It's also so- cool on the road too. Yeah. Have you ever seen one in, in the wild? Yes. I've seen two in my whole life, and uh, neither of them were, you know, Back to the Future modified, but uh, <laughs> they still looked awesome. Yeah. Well, my three is very different. Um, it might be a controversial pick, depending on, on people's thoughts about this film. It's from Star Wars. Hmm. It's from a Star Wars prequel. It's from the first Star Wars prequel, The Phantom Menace, and it is, uh, or they are, pod racers. Oh, you love the pod racers? I do love the pod racers. This is why I thought this would be a little controversial. Uh, So when I first saw The Phantom Menace in the movie theater, there's two or three moments, three moments that um, made me uh, just scream out in fanboy glee. 
um, or squee, I see, or I should say, it made me squee out. So the first was uh, very early on in the film when Obi-Wan takes his lightsaber and like thrusts it into a wall to kind of carve out an opening. Uh, my friend uh, Patrick and I turned to each other and, and he said, I always wondered if what would happen if, if, that, if you do that. And then um, the second moment um, was with pod racers. And the third moment is when Darth Maul had his double-sided double lightsaber. That was awesome. Um, but I, th- I love the frenetic, intense pace of that scene. Um, it felt really, really interesting to me, and it brought a lot of that awe and wonder back. Um, I know people. a lot of people don't like the Phantom Menace and don't really like Anakin in that story, but I love the pod racing scene. It, it, it always makes me smile. And you see Tuscan Raiders and you see a few other cameos and it's just, it's a lot of fun. And then I played this arcade game based on that scene many, many times and I, I love it. Cool. What's your number two? Um, my number two is the Batmobile. Oh, so is mine. That's is my it really? Well, yeah, yeah. But here's the question: Which one? Oh, there's so many to choose from, Ollie. You got to choose one. You can't just. No, I don't. Them all. I can't choose them all. They're all so, different. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's the craziest card. They're all amazing. Okay. Well, what's your favorite one? And I'll I'll make that your choice. <sighs> no, you can't force <laughs> me into a corner. Well, okay. I mean, which look are we the classic TV look, show. They're uh, all amazing. The Batmobile is like the best gadgetry type of of vehicle that you could possibly find. Yeah, and that's what the attraction is about but, is that every different person can have their imagining about what it's going to be, which is what I like about it. So yeah, I'm not going to be backed those, into a corner. This isn't one of those a starship in your mind is better than the starship in your hand. So no, don't buy I'm saying that like, I like every iteration of it. I don't always agree with what people decide to do with it, but I respect that. So I'm not I'm not going to pick one. But what is yours? <laughs> Apparently, you have one. That is a cop out. Um, no, it's so not. I have a favorite, but then I have a favorite crazy vehicle. Okay, so my favorite Batmobile, which I was originally going to go with, is a Batmobile from Tim Burton's. Um, okay. original two Batman films. But the topic was top five crazy vehicles. Right. So with that, I went with the Tumblr from Batman Begins and The mm. Dark Knight. Um, because it's so, it's like a tank. It right. just like drives through stuff. And when it's destroyed, it becomes the world's craziest uh, uh, motorcycle. Um, that's awesome. That is pretty cool. You know, so uh, for that, I, I went with the Tumblr um, uh, although I really love the Tim Burton one, if you if you ask me what my favorite Batmobile is, it is the Batmobile from the animated series. I just love how long and Art Deco it is. But here I'm going with the Tumbler. Cool. And uh, you know we already know my number one. It's the DeLorean. But it sounds like you've got an ace up your sleeve. What do you got, Connor? Well, mine. You're gonna get really unhappy with me right now. Mine is actually another time machine, and it's called the TARDIS. <sighs> Yeah, I thought you might pull this. Uh, that's uh, that's. I thought that's what's going to happen here. Well, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's hear your excuse for picking the a TARDIS, and I'll I'll, I'll I'll critique each point you raise. Well, the TARDIS is 
it is the mechanism by which the doctor gets around everywhere. <laughs> I love the technical definition of vehicle right there that you just No, it is. And it's a crazy vehicle. It has its own living core. It's got all sorts of things within it. It's got libraries. It's got... What? Are you, like, making That's weird a, gurgling noises? What is that? I was that? making a TARDIS sound effect of the engine. That was... When it appears. I... Isn't that mm, what it sounds not like? Not quite, not quite. But anyway, I um, my head it's, in shame. we even have episodes where we see the embodiment of the TARDIS, um, yeah, and it episode. and it's such a integral part of that particular show and that that whole world building. Like this, and it and it looks like a police phone box, um, bigger on the inside. I had to pick pick it. As my number one. Sorry. Well, you know, at least you and I both picked Time Machines for our number one, right. uh, the TARDIS and the DeLorean. Um, so here's my thing with the TARDIS. The police box aspect of it is actually just a gateway to his ship, right? The door. Oh, yeah. It, it, no, it's caught in the the chameleon circuit is caught, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but there's so many cool things about the inside of the, the ship, which I think is just very cool. Yeah, but it's kind of like a mansion that travels through the fourth dimension. It's just, um, and that's I mean, not cool. Come on, it, it is cool. It is cool. It's just, uh, it, it's uh, a little out there. See, this is why I never watch Mad Max. I prefer my my science fiction a little bit more serious. And and the TARDIS mm. is a nice little fantasy. So uh, so there's there is that. Um, um, I have a few honorable mentions. Um, let me hear them, Christine. Um, you know, possessed car. You can never get enough of them. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, uh, the um, I had a hard time for the the nautical um, piece of it. Um, but there's also like there's James Bond's cars. Um, yeah, yeah, James. What's the the car that goes underwater? Uh, the James Bond one. That I, one I know was it was a Lotus, but I don't remember what yeah, it, was it was actually. A Lotus. Yeah, yeah, it was very boxy. It was very eighties, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, it was so super cool when he did that, that yeah. it was like, you know, um, it, it was, it, I don't know, it was one of those things. And Nautilus, I felt the same way about. So it was just like this kind of fantastic thing. Um, and then I also had the Spruce Goose on there, which is a little bit more of a reality. The spruce Goose. Nice. Yeah, nice. Come on. You got to love like, it. No, that's good. Because it good. is that the Spruce Goose is like something that was, you know, this dream and, uh, you know, it's still around and it's in real life and it did appear in the aviator. So there you go. So uh, I'm gonna. I'm just adding an audible to my uh, honorable mention. I'm gonna put the Saturn V rocket there. Nice. <laughs> I think nice. If, if you got the spruce, like it's look, it takes off on land, it flies through space, and it lands on the moon. That's a pretty awesome vehicle. But my other honorable mentions include the speeder bike from Star Wars uh, Empire. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Return of the Jedi. Those bikes that fly through the forest. Oh, those are pretty cool. Was- those are so cool. Like, and they make that uh, noise. That, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And uh, let's see. Kit from Knight Rider. Oh, I had um, Kit too, but I forgot to write him down. Sorry. Kit is so cool. And then I'm surprised it didn't make our list. because I'm surprised it didn't make your list. I thought Echo 1 from Ghostbusters would totally be I did say Echo 1. Did you? Didn't I? 
I don't think so. Connor. Apparently, I said it in mind, my mind, and not out loud. It's actually sitting here on my list. So yes, Ecto One was there. Yeah, and you know, obviously, I left off the Enterprise, the Millennium Falcon, the Battlestar. Well, if you get into if you get into like spaceships, it's, it's a different kind of. It's thing. a totally different thing. So yeah, and it's not fair because the USS Enterprise is always the best spaceship. And C seventeen oh one at no bloody A B C or D uh, or E. <laughs> Um, so that's it for us, you guys. But we want to hear from you. Let I want to hear know. everybody's favorite vehicles. Yes, because it's the best top five ever. Please let us know what's your favorite top five crazy vehicles. What you think of Mad Men Fury Road. And uh, what you think of that crossover as well. You can find us on the internet. We are located on Twitter at Nerd Hour. You can also find us on our website. Go to NerdHour.com. And you can email us at info at SuperFantasticNerdHour.com. Conrad, for all those undead fans, where can people find you on your other podcast? On my other podcast with my buddy Stuart Tiffin. It's ReanimatedPodcast.com. And on the Twitters, we're ReanimatedPCast. And I am Die Prince on Twitter. That's right. Die Princing is the name of the game, and uh, that's that's what you do. And meanwhile, I am at Alimatu on Twitter. That's the name of my game, I guess. And I am also BrainNosBetter.com, where you can find me writing about science fiction and psychology. And speaking of psychology, I also do a little tiny YouTube show called The Psych Show, and you can find that at PsychShow.com. Until next time, listeners, live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.